You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and it's really exciting because um, the we are going to be looking at, I just want to make sure that I get a, um, a time going here so that I don't go too long for real. Um, so we are going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's an exciting area of Scripture. It's a very exciting area of Scripture. This is like two and a half chapters where Jesus just began to teach them. And he just teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches, kind of like I'm going to do tonight, right? I mean, it's two and a half chapters worth of teaching. This thing probably had to go on for four or five hours of them just listening to him teach. Can you imagine? Really and truthfully, it, it was a, it's a long sermon. If you just sit down and just read straight through it, it's a pretty long sermon. There's a lot here for us to look at. And so uh, we're going to kind of keep it kind of concise. We're not doing two and a half chapters, obviously. We're only going to do the first 16 verses of chapter 5. You guys probably know those as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's pray um, and uh, ask the Lord to teach us tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, and we just ask you as we open your word, Lord, that you, Lord, would be blessed Um, as we study your scripture tonight, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, your your spirit, your your word says that your spirit is the one that guides us and instructs us, Lord, the one that gives us insight into your word. And so we ask that tonight, Lord. Lord, not that my words, Lord, but that you through me would be able to teach these people, Lord, to be able to teach your children, Lord, um, more about you, more about what you've called us to, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you and we honor you. So guide us and direct us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. So I said this is called the Beatitudes, and I'm pretty sure most of you guys have heard about the Beatitudes before, um, but maybe you didn't know why they were called the Beatitudes. It's actually based on a uh, Greek word, uh, beatus, and the word beatus actually means supreme blessing. Uh, But in English, it kind of works for us because it's kind of attitudes that you need to have or you need to be a little bit more like this. Now, when we look at this section of scripture, uh, it starts in chapter five. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach. Now, this is really interesting because this takes us into Jewish culture and the way that we do things. So tonight, I think we'll just get rid of this thing. You guys stand, and I'm going to sit. What do you guys think about that? You guys stand for 45 minutes while I teach you sitting down? That work, right? Wouldn't that be awkward? Don't you think that would be awkward? You feel like that would be a strange thing for us. Why? Because our culture, the teacher stands at a pulpit, a podium, or or something. Some of them just walk around with an iPad or a Bible, but the teacher actually stands and the students sit, okay, or in the church. That's how we do it. That's actually how we do it in school systems today as well. But in Jewish culture, the audience actually stood and the teacher sat, 
In the synagogue, they had what was called the seat of Moses. And it was in this seat that if you were going to read a scroll, okay, one of the Old Testament books before it got put into a form like this for us, guys, if you were going to read one of the scrolls, like Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah at one point in his ministry, okay, if you were going to read that, you would actually come up in the temple and you would sit in the seat of Moses, and they would hand you the scroll, and you would open the scroll, and you would read from the text. They actually open this way. We always do this, don't we? It's kind of like we're talking and like we're going to, uh, I like the announcement for the kings and those types of things, right? The edict from the king and those types of things. But really and truthfully, the scrolls read more like this. If you've seen the Dead Sea Scrolls, they opened like this. You get fragments and pieces, but there's still some stuff. So they would open like this and you would roll and pull and roll and pull and roll and pull to be able to see the text in that particular section. So, but in the Jewish culture, it was common practice for the teacher to sit. I was going to bring a chair up here and make you guys, but I decided, ah, I'm not really going to do that because in our culture, this is more customary, right? So the other way would feel awkward. You'd be like, well, how do I take notes, pastor? How do I, da, 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 right? And so uh, this is an interesting situation. And when the Bible talks about disciples, it's not only talking about his individual disciples that he's hand-selected, it's talking about a group of people. If you look at the wording here, he says, he saw the crowds gathering around here. And so he took the disciples. The word disciple means follower, right? He took those that were actually following him, and he brought him aside as he went up on the mountainside, okay? And if you go to Israel today, they'll take you to the place, and we, they'll say, we think this is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. But it's kind of strange because somebody bought the land and turned it into like a banana farm, and so there's banana plants all over the place, and it's, a, it's an interesting hillside, um, but the reality of a hillside, if you've ever been on a hillside um, and, and spoken on a hillside like that, you don't necessarily need one of these, right? Because that hillside kind of becomes like an echo chamber, and the sound kind of goes throughout the valley as you speak from the edge of the hill. Okay, And so Jesus would go up, he would sit down, the people would be there, and he would speak, and they would be able to listen to what he says. And here's how he starts. Now, if you know the book of Matthew, you know as we've talked about this, the very first thing that we see in the book of Matthew is that Jesus is declared as the rightful king of Israel right? We saw the genealogy. It shows us through the genealogy that Jesus has the right to the throne of David, so he is the rightful heir to the throne to be king of Israel, which is really important as we get into these beatitudes. Beatitude means supreme blessing. This is a blessing given by a king, this is a blessing that's very special, okay? This is a blessing that ordinary people usually didn't receive. So when Jesus begins to speak and he says, blessed are, all of the people all of a sudden are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's blessed? Did he just say blessed are? He's speaking like, 
royal, supreme, godly blessings for us, we're just ordinary people. We can get this type of stuff. Now, realize that Jesus actually came to establish his heavenly kingdom. He'll continue to say all throughout the scripture that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near, has come near, okay? He has come to establish this kingdom, not in the sense that the world has a kingdom, okay, that where it has this uh, king that rules over uh, all of these subjects and these people just do whatever they say and just jump, jump hell high. Okay, go kill that thing. Go get, okay, in a sense, we see some of that. But the reality is, is that the kingship that Jesus is establishing here is a spiritual kingship. And that confused the people. You'll see that the disciples are like, yeah, but, but you said we were going to sit at your sides and be kings and they wanted robes and they wanted all the things that came with being a king. They were really excited because people were gonna come and bring offerings to them and all of these types of things because this is what people understood about being a king. But Jesus's kingship is different than an earthly king, right? But Jesus is going to speak this supreme blessing over the people. Jesus is basically in the Sermon on the Mount setting up, okay, kind of a constitution for his kingdom, a constitution for his kingdom. These are going to be the people in my kingdom that are going to be blessed, the people that follow this series of attitudes, and it's a series of attitudes. It's a step of attitudes as we get through this passage of scripture, okay? These are the people that are going to be blessed. Then Jesus will go on and say, the laws in my kingdom, you understand them as this, but truly they mean this. And you'll see that as we go through Matthew chapter five, talking about the heart of the law instead of the letter of the law. Jesus will describe that and we'll see that next week. Okay, but this week we're going to focus on these beatitudes. So how do I get this supreme blessing? Y'all want to be blessed? I know I want to be blessed, right? Well, Jesus gives us a pattern here and he says, hey, you want to be blessed? Do this. Do this. But maybe we don't understand. Maybe we don't know what we need to do. But here's the reality. We like to do, don't we? How many of you guys are doers? I'm a doer. I am a doer. I like to do, 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 right? I like to do things all the time. I'm like constantly going. I like to, to do this thing over here and do this thing over here and do this thing over here. But here's the reality. Here's my spiritual struggle. You guys ready? This point of vulnerability right here when the preacher reveals his spiritual struggles to you. Y'all ready? I don't know if I am, Right? I have so much trouble just being. Do you know how to be? Do you know how to be? Because what Christ is talking about here in the be attitudes is who he wants us to be, not what he wants us to do. This is about who you are as a person and how that goes as being a follower of Christ. This is not about how much you can do for Jesus. 
We're doers, you guys. We are. We're doers. Man, when I was pastoring the church in Peru, I was a missionary pastor for six years, for those of you guys that are new. Okay, I was pastoring a church in Peru, and most of them came out of Catholicism. And if they didn't come out of Catholicism, they had grown up in a very religious system that required them to do, that required them to do. So they would come to me constantly and ask questions like, Pastor, can you tell me what I need to do this week to stay right with God? Okay, well, I can read my Bible, right? I can serve in the church, and I can pray. Is that good enough? No. (gasps) Did I just say that from the pulpit? Oh, read your Bible, right? Serve in the church and pray, is it good enough? No. Again, guys, that's doing. That's doing. We look at those things, and I can't tell you how many times. Those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. I can't tell you how many times I've checklisted that set of things before the Lord and said, Lord, I read my Bible today. Lord, I went to the church and I set everything up today. Oh, Lord, I prayed. Lord, I pray for this person. I pray for that person. Lord, I pray for this person. Oh, they're struggling. Lord, help them. Lord, I pray for their marriage. And Lord, I pray for this. And Lord, I pray for that. Is that the rest of the list? Okay, good. Check, 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 check. Oh, I pray for Bobby Sue. Yeah, Bobby Sue's struggling. Yeah. Oh, and I pray for this baby over here. It's got this. And, okay. And I'm checklisting everything before the Lord. And I'm like, woo! We're good. I done did my do list before the Lord. Right? For those of you guys that are fathers, I'm sure you know what a honey-do list is, right? And you know you get this list from your wife, and she says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to clean the garage. I want you to go over here. I want you to mow the lawn. I want you to fix that piece of facing up there because it's falling down over here. You guys don't get those things? Yeah? I don't know. I see the wives looking over going, yes, you do. You've got one at home sitting there right now, right? But that's the reality. We get this do list. And as a husband, you can check those off and it makes you an okay husband. But it doesn't make you a good husband. Because a good husband can't just do things for his wife. A good husband has to be there for his wife, right, ladies? right? You want more than just a man that's going to mow the lawn and fix the things. You can hire people for that if that's really what you had to do, right? And it's the same with the Lord. He wants more than people that are just going to show up at a church, check off their to-do list, and then be done. He wants intimacy. He wants a relationship. You hear girls all the time saying they want cuddle time, They just want to cuddle up on the couch and they just want to be with you. Watch a movie? Okay, watch a movie. I don't care about the movie. I just want to be with you. It's the same thing with the Lord. We need to have that relationship. That's why the Bible consistently compares the marriage relationship to our relationship to the Lord. We are the bridegroom. I mean, we are the bride. I'm sorry. He is the bridegroom. I'm like, wait a minute. I said that all wrong, right? We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. We need to be with him. 
And these attitudes are about being. They're not about doing. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us. Well, it's hard for me. I'm guessing you guys, you don't struggle with that, right? You, you guys probably don't. I know. It's me. Here we go. Blessed. Supreme blessing for you. And you, and you, and you, and you. If, watch this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They will persecute you, okay? So, here we go. Jesus starts teaching with blessed. Blessed. Blessed are. Guys, he doesn't say blessed will be. He says blessed are. This is immediate. This is for now. This is his intimacy with you now. He wants you to receive a supreme blessing from heaven. The creator of the universe, the indescribable God that we just sang about, wants to give you a supreme blessing now. He doesn't say blessed will be. He says blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's talk about it. What does it mean to be poor? When we think of poor, of course, what do we think? I ain't got no money, right? I'm sure that most of you guys have been through some stage of life where you've struggled with a little bit of money, okay? A lot of people have. I know I have. I know there's been times in my life where I didn't have very much at all. There's been times in my life where I had more. Not a whole lot more, but more, right? I'm okay. God has provided every step of the way for me. I'm in no way, shape, or form poor. So, but Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about your money. He's talking about your spiritual state. But that's an interesting thing. Doesn't that kind of make you go, what? I need to be broke in the spirit? What does that mean? I thought I needed to be spiritually alive. I thought I needed to be full. I thought I needed to be rich in the Spirit of God. You do. But you can't get that until you realize that you are bankrupt. You are bankrupt. That's what poverty really is. You've got nothing. You've got Nothing. We talked about Jesus as our groom and we are the bride. Well, traditionally, when the groom is preparing himself for the bride, the bride comes with a dowry. The groom gets something out of it, right? He's going to marry his bride and her father is going to give something that's going to help take care of his daughter the whole time. Guess what, bride? 
you got nothing. You're poor. You got nothing to bring to the creator of the universe. You're bankrupt. The Bible says you have nothing. Your works are like filthy rags. You're talking about the creator of the universe. What are you going to get him? What are you going to give him? This is why the to-do list doesn't work. This is why this is about being. This is about recognizing who I am. We live in a culture today that is driven by humanism. Humanism is man at the center of everything. I am God, is what our culture says. Now, I mean, obviously, they don't use those words, but that's what we say. I am the center. I have to get to a place where I'm just completely comfortable with whatever is going on in me, and that's okay. I just have to come, become comfortable with that. I just have to become comfortable with that. Who am I? Who am I? Well, the Bible says you're a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. The world says just get comfortable in that sin. That sin is okay. Get comfortable in that sin, live in that sin, be in that sin, and just be who you are. The Bible says you need to die to who you are so that you can be made alive in Christ and recognize that I've got nothing. I am poor in spirit. I am bankrupt as I come before the Lord. And when I come before the Lord like that, Jesus finally says, awesome. Step one. Step one. You have recognized that you're bankrupt. You've got nothing to bring me. That's when he's, he loves that, is when we get to the place where we say, Lord, I could do, do, do all day long, but I got nothing. You know what's crazy is when we go through difficult trials, that's usually where we end up. Lord, I got nothing. I can't do this we begin to recognize how poor in the spirit we truly are. Because without Christ, we've got nothing. We're dead. We're dead men walking. That famous show, Walking Dead, that's like us, y'all, right? We're just a bunch of dead men walking until Christ makes us alive. We're broke. We're broke. He says in this one, the reward is the kingdom of heaven. When you realize how broke you are, when you come to him humbly and say, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you, you did it all. You did it all. Guys, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion out there. Christianity calls for the believer to recognize that he's got nothing to offer the creator God of the universe and to humble himself because the creator God of the universe came and did it all for you. He went to that cross. He died on that cross for you. He paid the price so that you can be in perfect communion with him again, so that you can be made perfect, so that you and I can enjoy the kingdom of heaven with Christ. That's why he did it. We've got nothing to offer, so he came down. Every other religion says, what can you do to please these gods? 
oh, well, they're not very happy with you. That's why you have this going on in your life, because they're not very happy with you. Y'all know we do that in Christianity sometimes too. Something happens in our life, what'd you do? Jesus corrected the Pharisees all the time for saying that. What'd you do? Wonder what he did, right? Because everything's going wrong in his life. You're bankrupt. You got nothing to bring him. If you recognize that, then we can get to step two. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. So at first, when you look at this, you're like, well, <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. Why, why should I be mourning? What am I mourning about? Sin. When I recognize that I'm bankrupt, then I recognize that I'm a sinner before a holy God, I should stand mourning in fear and say, oh God, who am I that the greatest king would recognize me? Who am I? I should mourn. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for their sin when they recognize that they've got nothing and that they're wretched sinners and that they're separated from this holy God. They've got nothing to bring them. Blessed are you when you mourn about that because you will be comforted because he'll take you just like you are. You know, Billy Graham used to say all the time, Jesus loves you just the way that you are but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Guys, so many people want to get themselves cleaned up before they come to church. So many people want to get themselves cleaned up before they actually want to serve the Lord or do anything for the Lord. Oh, I, gotta, I, just, I need to get my life in order. Then I'll start going to church. And then God, oh, if I walk through that door, that, that building's going to fall down on me. You know how many times I've heard that? I'm like, that building ain't going to fall down on you. The angels in heaven are going to rejoice is what's going to happen. You say, oh, somebody came and recognized that they're a wretch and that they have nothing to offer the holy God and now they're on their face before him mourning because of their sin. Now they'll be comforted because they'll realize that Jesus came and died to make sure that that sin was forgiven and they don't have to pay that price for that sin. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That brings us to step three. To step three. Step one is recognizing you got nothing. Step two is mourning and then getting comforted in your mourning because you recognize who he is and what he's done for you. Guys, that's the process of salvation. That's us getting to the place where we realize who we are in Christ Jesus. And now he's telling us who we need to be and what it looks like to be in Christ. He says, blessed are the meek. You know, when we look at this word in our culture, this is what we think of. Hi, guys. Like the little church mouse that hides out, right? Well, I'm just kind of shy. I don't like to look at people, right? Hi. And in our culture, that's what we think of when we think of meekness, right? Do you know that the word actually means, the word that Jesus used for this actually means a wild stallion that has been broken. 
Because when he's a wild stallion, he's not that good for anything. He's pretty to look at, but you can't use him, right? He just runs around crazy. But a wild stallion that's been under control. You know the Bible says that Jesus was meek? Jesus was meek. It's this immense power put into submission. And he's calling you to be the same. He's saying, I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you talents. I'm going to bless that voice. And you're going to be able to bless people with that voice. Submit to me and use it for me. That's what he's saying. Put it under my control like a tamed wild horse that becomes useful. That's what being meek means. It doesn't mean being a church mouse. It doesn't mean walking around pretending like you're nothing and all these types of things. It means about being in control, submitted completely to our heavenly father. That's what being meek is. The Bible calls Jesus meek. The Bible calls Moses meek. Moses calls himself meek. Because Moses wrote about himself, it's an interesting thing, right? In the book of Deuteronomy, he says, and Moses was a meek man, which was true. Why? Because God gave Moses this incredible power to deliver the children of Israel, and Moses submitted himself to the power and the will of the Lord. He didn't just run off and do his own thing with this power that God gave him. He submitted himself and said, Father, what do you want from me? He said, but what about this, God? I'll do what you want, right? That's who Moses was. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was God in flesh that submitted himself to the Father. That's meekness. You've been given great power. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Do you ever think about that? The Holy Spirit lives in me. That's wild, you guys. The same power that created the universe lives in you. And put into submission to the Lord, he can do great things through you. Isn't that awesome? Wow, meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, when we look at this earth, maybe you think to yourself, well, I don't want it, right? It's like when somebody in your family passes away and they don't have much, and you're like, I I don't. I don't want this. What am I supposed to do with this? Right? My inheritance. What am I supposed to do with this? But when you realize that the Bible says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that's part of that inheritance, well, that's a whole different story. It's almost like somebody left you an inheritance and you look at it and you're like, what is this ugly rug that they left me? This thing is hideous. Why would I want that? And then you find out, oh, that rug? 
It just needs to be cleaned. It's worth $2.5 million. It's a hand-woven oriental rug from like a thousand years ago. What? Inherit the earth. That's pretty cool for those that are completely submitted to the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, here's the thing, guys. This is a byproduct of this. When we begin to exercise in the Lord, you get hungry. If you ever go to the gym, you know how this works, right? You go to the gym and you work out. My son and I, you can't tell by looking at me, but my son and I, we go to the gym two days, off, two days on, one day off. Two days on, one day off, okay? I mean, you know, it's under here somewhere. But listen, this is the reality. Those two days on, ooh, after I exercise what God gave me, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I can eat some food, right? We know how that works. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. It's the same thing spiritually. If you walk in this progression, if we recognize that we don't have anything to offer the Lord, that's the beginning of us getting the kingdom of heaven, okay? And then if we go from there and we mourn about our sin, we get comforted in that. And then we submit ourselves to the Lord, then he puts a hunger for righteousness in us. This desire. David. David. What a wreck of a guy, right? You guys know David from the Bible? He's a mess. You look at David in the Bible and you're like, why did the Lord say he's a man after my own heart? Why? David messed up all over the place, you guys. But David writes in the Psalms, he said, Lord, you said, seek my face, and your face I will seek. Oh, Lord, it's not against Bathsheba and Urias. I just lost his name. Um, that I've sinned against, but it's against you, a holy God, that I've sinned against. Right? David recognized. He's like, I'm a wretch. I'm a mess. But, oh, God, I seek your face. I desire you, Lord. I am hungry. I am thirsty to be in your presence. I want more of you. Have you ever gotten in a place in your Bible reading, in your worship, where you're like, I just want some more of that. I just want some more. That was amazing. Right before service, we were talking about 21 days of fasting and prayer, right? And one of the things I love about the 21 days of fasting and prayer, there's always moments like that. There's always moments during that where I'm reading my Bible and I'm just like, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Or we're doing worship and these guys are, are leading us in worship and they end and somebody comes up to talk and I'm like, no, don't end. I want more of that. And then, and then the pastor begins to speak and I'm like, oh, but that's good too hungering and thirsting for righteousness sake for righteousness sake for more of Jesus it's a progression guys the beatitudes are a progression they're a progression and you're going to mess it up and that always good news cuz we're not perfect we're not in the kingdom to come 
this constitution set forth for God's eternal kingdom, that's when we'll get all this stuff right. For now, we're going to make mistakes along the way. And we're going to have those moments where we get this right. And it feels so amazing. You know what I'm talking about. You've all had those mountaintop moments with the Lord. And then you've all gone through places where you felt like you were in a desert and the whole world was in it. And you're like, God, are you even there? Right? We've all had those types of moments. Then we go on. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because I have received mercy from God. I recognize I don't deserve anything that he's given me. And when I've received mercy and I truly recognize that mercy that I've received from the Lord, I'm going to be giving it back to other people. Oh, that person wronged me. How could you be nice to him after he said that stuff about you? Oh, he's probably having a bad day. You don't know what's going on in his life. You don't, all of a sudden, you find yourself being merciful? Well, when I've received mercy and recognize that God has been merciful to me, it's way easier for me to be merciful to other people. Right? It's way easier for me to be merciful. It says the reward here is receiving more mercy. The reward, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive, receive mercy. Right? God is merciful to us, and he expects us to be merciful to those around us. Because he knows we're broken people and we're going to hurt people. If you haven't been hurt, hold on, it's coming. Because we live in a world of broken people. And the more humanistic and self-centered we get, the more we're going to hurt other people. It's coming. It's coming. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're dealing with us. The condition of our heart, these beatitudes. Pure in heart means honest and true and with pure motives. Pure in heart. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I, why do I come to church every Sunday? Because I want to worship and honor the Lord or because I want people to see me and go, oh, well, at least they're coming to church. Why do I go to church? Why do I serve in children's ministry? Why do I do setup? Why do I do worship? Why do I play the keyboard? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I smoke all the meat voluntarily for July 4th, Carrie? Oh, sorry. Uh, I always use a story on this one with my students when I, when I talk to them about pure in heart. I tell them, I say, so there's an older lady, and this is not a true story, I made it up, okay? Um, there's an older lady that lives in my neighborhood. She's 92 years old, and uh, she's going to, not doing so well. And um, so I go and check on her, you know, and um, then her grass gets tall and I mow her grass and I get some groceries for her and, and these types of things. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, he's a pretty good guy, right? I mean, wouldn't you think that about somebody that was doing that for a neighbor, 92 years old, and you see a, a young man, you know, dashingly handsome like myself showing up at her house and, oh, sorry, I, you know, come on. Uh, and, and mowing her yard and doing all these types of things. And you're like, that is a good man right there. That is a good man. Only you don't know the motives of my heart. She's 92. She has no family. She's a multimillionaire and she's going to die soon. I'm just hoping she gives it all to me when she dies because she got to give it to somebody. <coughs> is that a good man? We don't always see the motives of people's heart. 
People do great and amazing things, but a lot of times it's for their own reward in the end. It's not really to serve and honor Christ. So blessed are the pure in heart, the pure in heart, those that are true, those that are honest. It doesn't just mean about having good intentions to do things. There's a saying that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's got to be scriptural, it's got to be pure, and it's got to be right before Jesus. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is difficult with people today. Woo! I don't know if you've driven in South Florida, but it is hard to keep peace with people. Isn't it? I'm telling you, it's hard to keep peace with people. We live in a society and a culture right now where lawsuits, I mean, you look at somebody wrong and they sue you, right? How do you keep peace with people in culture like this? You can, only through Christ. This is the amazing thing. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, keep peace. Don't give excuses, well, they won't forgive me. So blah, 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 blah. So that's why I spun out in their front yard and put skid marks on their, you know. No, 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 no. You live at peace even though they choose not to. You forgive them even though they choose not to forgive you or accept your apology if you've wronged them. Forgive them. Love them in spite of how they respond. That's what this means. This is what it means to be a peacemaker. And you see, as we grow in the progression of the Beatitudes, being more like Christ, these things come a little bit easier. They come a little bit easier, okay? The reward is being called a son of God. John 1.12 says that those who believe will be given the privilege to be called sons of God. Being a peacemaker. When that love of God lives in you, that gives us the ability to live at peace with our enemies. It doesn't just mean live at peace with the nice neighbors. It means live at peace with the ones that play music at two o'clock in the morning as well. It means live at peace with the ones that are mean and difficult and that yell at you when your dog steps on their lawn. Whatever it is, live at peace with those people as well, and we will be called sons of God. Here's the end. If you put all of these things in proper attitude towards the Lord, the Bible says expect to be persecuted. And there is a supreme blessing for you even in that. A supreme blessing for you even in that. We don't live in a culture with much persecution today, right? It's coming. You can see it more and more and more all the time. It is coming. But we don't have a lot. I remember reading an article several years ago that if people worship the Lord uh, openly in Sierra Leone, it's a small country on the continent of Africa, that um, if they shared the gospel with somebody, they would get their tongue cut off so that they may no longer speak. If you listened to the gospel, you would get your ears cut off. If you uh, lived a Christian life and professed Christ as your Savior, you would get your hands cut off so that you would no longer be able to work and provide for your family. 
And if you were a female with a baby, you would get your breast cut off so that you could not kill, I mean, feed your baby since there was no formula or any of those things and that your children would die. Therefore, you would not be able to raise them in the way of this wickedness, the government thought. This was all government sanctioned. Sierra Leone. And guys, this was like 20 years ago that Sierra Leone was like that. There's countries all over the world like that. We haven't seen any persecution yet. We haven't seen any persecution. We see minor blips of it here and there. Governors trying to shut down churches, those types of things, while allowing casinos to run at full capacity, those types of things. And there's, it's coming. It's coming. And the Bible says you'll receive a supreme blessing. But you still need to be a peacemaker. Don't go out there and aggravate the waters just trying to get persecution. That's not what he told you to do. Now, if God calls you to go in the public square and preach out loud, go in the public square and preach out loud. If he calls you to share at your lunch table at your work, share at your lunch table with your work. Find those opportunities that God has called you to. But don't blatantly go against something just to aggravate or just to rile up something. That's not what God has called us to. That's not what the disciples did. They were called to go preach. And now when the governor said, you're not allowed to preach anymore, they say, whoa, listen, God called me to preach. I'm gonna go preach. You're not gonna stop me. But there were a whole bunch of laws that they followed because it wasn't against the law of God, okay? Persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. And it says, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness' sake, okay? If you live a life according to these beatitudes, it's coming. A life of righteousness and devotion to the Lord is not accepted in today's society. All of sin is accepted in today's society. A life of righteousness is becoming less and less and less acceptable. Your reward will be great in heaven. We don't know exactly what that'll be, but we went through the book of Revelation, and it sounds amazing. Our reward in heaven. Guys, this is how Christ calls us to recognize who we are, to accept him. This is what he calls us to be, not to do. When we become who he calls us to be, then he can put us in his service. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to call Mimi and Rick up so that we can do communion. And um, let's worship the Lord in this time. All right? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this um, sermon Lord, this Sermon on the Mount that you have given us, that we can see your words, the way you've called us, Lord, the way you've called us to be more like you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the things that you've shown us in this passage of Scripture, Lord. Thank you for the way that, that you've loved us enough to call us to this, Lord. Help us to learn to be, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Receive our worship as we prepare our hearts for communion. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. 
so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.